We're continuing in our, our series, The Good Life. How many of you are enjoying the series so far? Good. Good answer. <laughs> Makes for a better message. <laughs> if y'all had done me like you did your kids, I might would have changed my message all of a sudden. I'm just saying. <laughs> uh, we're continuing with our series, The Good Life, and we've been talking about the life that Jesus promises us while we're waiting for his return. So watch this. If, if we believe and understand what salvation is to its fullest, then there has, we have to have a deeper understanding that comes after that. If you understand that salvation is going from spiritual death into spiritual life, it's like you had a new spiritual birthday. You were born again. That's why we use that term, born again. I've been born again. It means I was spiritually dead. Now I'm spiritually alive. I gave my life to Christ I surrendered my life to Christ. I accepted what he did on the cross. I believe that God raised him from the dead and he's sitting at the right hand of the Father. If you've done all that, the Bible says you're born again. You went from spiritual death into spiritual life. Remember, Jesus didn't die to make bad people good. He died to make spiritually dead people spiritually alive. Right? And so now that you're alive, there's a life that Jesus has for you that if you're not taught or you don't learn, then you never get to enjoy. So then what we end up doing is try to duplicate or replicate what the church looks like and pretend to live a life that we're not necessarily living to the fullest. And so this series, Jesus told me, he said, tell them the good life they can live. He's saying to our Savior's church, Eunice, I want you to start living the good life. Now, this good life is not a life without problems. In fact, it may be a life with more problems. But if it's a life of more problems, it's a life of more presence. Because Jesus said in Matthew 28, 19 and 20, and lo, I am with you to the end of the age. <clears throat> so he promises to be with us, those who have gone from spiritual death into spiritual life. And so there needs to be an expectation inside of us. There needs to be a hunger inside of us. And there needs to be a realization that I get to live a good life while waiting for Jesus to come back. So our key verse for this series is John chapter 10, starting in verse 9 and 11. Jesus is speaking. He says, yes, I am the gate. Those who come in through me will be saved. They will come and go freely and will find good pastures. The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy, but my purpose is to give them, watch this, a rich and satisfying life that has nothing to do with money. If you think money makes you rich, you got a lot to learn. I know plenty of people that are rich with money but poor in relationships. I know plenty of people that have plenty of money but they have horrible family life. Jesus said, I, my purpose is to give you a rich and satisfying life. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. So like we've been saying every week now, Jesus makes two claims about himself. Number one, he's the gate. The only way into the good life is through the gate, Jesus. You have to give your life to Jesus. Now watch this. Some of us live in this, in this, this, this bipolar kind of pattern where we give our life to Jesus, then we take it back. Then we give it to Jesus, then we take it back. Am I in the right church? We give it to Jesus, then we take it back. Or we get serious with Jesus, then we get not so serious. We get serious with Jesus, then we get busy with the world. And so we live this, this, this dysfunctional life 
that never, never gets to be good because we're still struggling to serve two masters. So Jesus is the gate. If you give your life to him, you get into the pasture. And then he says he's the good shepherd. He's the one who cares for us and protects us. He's the one who helps us. And his intentions for us are to have a rich and satisfying life. So week one, we talked about how Jesus gives us hope. Without Jesus, there's not much hope. You're putting hope in the world, and the world will always let you down. If you're putting hope in things, things will always let you down. The only hope you should ever anchor your life to is Jesus Christ himself. No other. No other. Because if you anchor into anything else, it's not going to stay. There's a storm that's assigned to knock loose every anchor except the anchor of Jesus. Week two, we we talked about how Jesus gives us faith. And then week three, we talked about last week, we talked about how Jesus gives us rest. Quick question, how many of you went home and took a nap? Thank you, Credence. Credence is the only one that went home and took a nap, a teenager. Miss Jean. Okay, I may need to preach that message again. Like, dear goodness, I gave you permission to rest. The Lord said, tell them to rest, and they didn't rest. Okay. How many of you did chill out, though? Okay. All right. Was it a real chill out or did you just do a little bit less than you normally do? Don't answer that question. I want to keep this message going in the right direction. So Jesus, today I want to talk to you about how Jesus gives us strength. How many of you could use some strength? Yeah. Jesus gives us strength. I want to bring you to Isaiah chapter 40 and I want to just briefly give you some background about what's been going on with the nation of Israel, God's people, and then get into chapter 40 and then go from there. Judah has been under a threat from the Assyrians. The Assyrians marched down and, and, and uh, mounted up against Judah. They, they were outside the city walls by the aqueducts and they were ready to jump on Judah and, and, and totally annihilate it and take it over and possess it is what they were after. Remember, the enemy comes to steal and kill and destroy. Their enemy was coming to steal and to kill and to destroy. So they camped out outside the city by the aqueducts. <clears throat> the Assyrian leaders, there was a couple of leaders for the Assyrians who were shouting at Judah threats and trying to insert fear into them. How many of you know the enemy is always trying to instill fear? In you, he's always shouting at you. (laughs) And so the Assyrian leaders were shouting. Watch this. Judah's leaders actually went to the Assyrian leaders and said, hey, would you talk to us and not to our people? Like, can we talk in a different language so that our people don't hear what you're saying? Their leaders were trying to say, talk to us so they don't hear because we don't want them to be afraid. Because if they hear and understand what you're threatening, then they may get afraid and they may give in. But the Assyrians didn't. They kept shouting in the language that the people could understand. At the time Hezekiah was king, he had told the people to keep silent. He said, don't say anything to the enemy. But they still heard the enemy speaking. Then Hezekiah goes off to be with the Lord 
and he cries out to God. And he makes some specific declarations. He, he declares how mighty God is, and then he begins to declare how powerful God is. Now, there's a good little principle right there that you need to take home with you today. When the enemy mounts up against you, your best prayer is to remind yourself and God how mighty and how powerful he is. Because just like we were listening to the enemy speak, the enemy's listening to you speak. And when he understands that you understand who God is, and you start to declare that God is mighty and God is power, then the enemy himself has to hear that, and then he gets to be afraid. So Hezekiah goes to the Lord, which is something we should all do, right? When the enemy mounts up against us, we resist him, and we go to the Lord, and we cry out. Some of my best prayers some days are, Lord, you're mighty. Lord, you're strong. Lord, you're powerful. Do you think God needs to be reminded? No. I need to be reminded, right? And there's not always somebody calling me to remind me who God is, right? So sometimes I got to remind myself who God is by declaring who he is out loud. So because he cried out, the Lord then responds. I love this. Like the Lord didn't respond until Hezekiah cried out. Are you seeing a little theme this morning? Like the enemy's not going to flee till you resist him. The Lord's not going to move till you cry out. I think he's trying to get us to understand that he's the one we need to cry out to. Like he's my source. He's my daddy. He's my protector. He's my provider. He's the one who goes before me. He's the one who's stronger than any enemy. He's stronger than me. I can't do this on my own. I have to have him. So because he cried out, the Lord responded and promised to move against the Assyrians. Watch this. That night, the angel of the Lord went out to the Assyrian camp and he killed 185,000 Assyrians while they were sleeping. Who did that? The Lord did that. When the rest of the soldiers woke up the next morning, and they saw 185,000 dead folk. Somebody got wise and said, we got to go. Right? Like this is the wrong fight. <laughs> we done messed with the wrong person. Right? And they did. They went home. <laughs> Isn't it a cool thing when the Lord goes before you and fights your battles? Isn't it good when he goes into the enemy's camp while they're sleeping and annihilates most of the enemy for you? What was Hezekiah's responsibility? Cry out to God. Remember who he is. Walk in that understanding and then trust the Lord to go and move on your behalf. So when your family's falling apart, your kids are going sideways, you don't have to go chase them down every time. What if you just sick the Lord on them? I told my kids a few times, I said, listen, it would be better for you if I dealt with you than if the Lord dealt with you. So which one you want? 
Don't make me get the Lord. After. <laughs> I think my father-in-law used to say, what you want, boy, you want funeral home or nursing home? He was a skinny man. But I didn't want to get hit by him. So they broke camp and returned home. Interesting part of the story, I'm trying to build to where the nation is in chapter 40. I'm trying to get to chapter 40, trying to give you the heartbeat of how they are, what their condition is when, they, when we get to chapter 40. And Isaiah speaks to them what the Lord says. So as soon as the enemy, as soon as the Lord moves on their behalf, the enemy breaks camp and returns home. Hezekiah gets deathly sick. He's laying in bed, seriously dying, like he's dying. In fact, Isaiah went and told him, said, bro, this is it. I mean, if you'd like for a prophet to come to your house, say, bro, this is it. <laughs> I'd be like, no. And so what did he do? He cried out again. And the Lord heard him. And the Lord said, okay, I'll give you 15 more years. And then Hezekiah, now Hezekiah is quite a character because Hezekiah does some crazy stuff. Like Hezekiah goes, okay, give me a sign. I'm like, bro, the Lord just told you he's giving you 15 more years. You just need to be saying thank you. <laughs> and what else can I do for you? <laughs> right? Not give me a sign. But the Lord gave him a sign. He turned the shadow back on the sundial 10 steps. It would be like he turned time backwards or turned the sun backwards 10 hours. Here's your sign. Right? So he gets 15 more years. I see there's always a warning that needs to come with a miracle. When God does a miracle in your life, you need to, be, need to make sure you stay humble and not become prideful. Hezekiah becomes prideful. He invites, now get this, the Lord just killed his enemies for him, 185,000 of them. The Lord just rescued him from death, gave him 15 more years. He asked for a sign. The Lord took the sun and moved it backwards. Then all of a sudden he gets healed. He's living in his 15 years and he makes some stupid decisions. He invites the Babylonians to come into the palace and he shows them all their treasures. And then he shows them the whole kingdom. Babylonia was not their friend. He exposed everything. He became prideful. So Isaiah comes back. The Lord sends the prophet back to rebuke him. And basically the Lord told him, you're going to keep you 15 years, but it's not going to be good after you die. Listen to what Hezekiah says. Well, at least there will be peace and security during my lifetime. How self-centered is that? At least there will be peace and security in my lifetime. What about your kids, bro? What about the generations coming after you, cuz? Huh? What about your great-grandchildren's grandchildren? Is it just about you? So then we get to chapter 40. Now imagine how the nation is feeling right now. Yes, they saw the Lord kill the enemy for them. They saw the enemy flee 
away. They heard about what happened with Hezekiah. And they know the whole story. And now they're feeling vulnerable. Now they're feeling edgy. Because Hezekiah turned. Their king, their leader turned. They feel weak. Chapter 40, Isaiah 40, verse 29 and 31. Look at what it says. There's a lot that's said here, but I just had to pull this one piece. It says, he gives power to the weak, and to those who have no might, he increases strength. Listen to this. Even the youths will faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Now that's a powerful verse. I can only run about 10 steps. But the Bible tells me I can run and not be weary. That's good news. Come on, so let's, let's unpack this for a minute because it's worth unpacking. It says that he gives power to the who? To the weak. So the weak are qualified to receive power. So you think your weakness is bad, but what if your weakness is just a qualification for power? And instead of letting the enemy convince you that your weakness is all this in a bag of chips, what if you just took a different position and said, you know what? My weakness positions me for God's power to work through me. What if you change your mind about the whole thing? And instead of, and instead of bowing down to your weaknesses and your, and your, your, the, your, your frailties and your, the things that you don't have, what if you just realize that's what God's looking for? He moves in that. He gives power to the weak. Those who have no might, he increases their strength. So God comforts his people. He increases their strength. He gives power to the weak. I hope you walk away today with a different understanding about weakness. Everyone gets weak and tired. Don't let the enemy convince you you're the only one. Because the Bible said the youths <laughs> get weak and tired. I've been in youth ministry for a couple of weeks now. While Tim and Danielle are on a break. I ain't seen them get tired yet. I'm tired. I'm having a blast. But I'm tired. I go home, I'm like, babe, I ain't got it no more, babe. Like, whoo. But it, they even get weak and tired. Now, now watch this. I'm, I'm clowning, but you need to really pay attention to your students because they are weak and tired right now. They may have physical energy, but you need to be checking their spiritual, emotional, mental energy. Because they're under some stuff. We had a conversation this past Wednesday about all the temptations that come after them. I'm glad I was born in 1974. Come on, somebody. I don't know if I'd have made it through this. 
but they have a different anointing on them. God's going to use them in a special way, but you better check on them. You heard me, parents? Well, how do I check on you? Have a conversation with them. What if they don't want to talk? You sit there and make it awkward. <laughs> Just look at each other. I do some crazy stuff with my kids. I'm telling you right now. They'll, they'll all testify. They won't talk. I look at them all crazy like. <laughs> until they talk. I want you to remember that Isaiah is speaking this to the same people that heard what the enemy said. <laughs> and I guarantee you they were still hearing the words of the enemy bounce around in their heads. How many of you can still hear some of the lies of the enemy that he's spoken to you over the years? <laughs> and then Isaiah says this. He says, but those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. Those who wait on the Lord. So let's unpack that for just a minute. That word wait is the Hebrew word kaveh. It means this, and I want you to, to pay attention because it's, it's a little bit difficult. I always thought wait meant to wait. It could have, I always thought it had two meanings, either to sit and wait for somebody to show up or to like wait, like wait on tables, okay? I thought it was one of those two. But until I, I dug into it, I started to realize it's more than that. But those who wait, who kave on the Lord shall renew their strength. That word kave means to bind together to expect, to gather, to look, to tarry, and to wait. I'll say it again. To bind together, to expect, to gather, to look, to tarry, and to wait. So Kaveh has a literal meaning and it has a figurative meaning. The literal meaning for Kaveh is like this. It's, it's best described this way. It's like the binding and twisting together of strands of a rope. Have you ever watched a video where they put together like a wire rope or like a, a regular wool rope or something and they, they weave the, the strands together? Pretty cool process, huh? Everything just goes in the right spot. Every time you add a strand to that, you add strength to that. And so it's a twisting together. That's the figurative meaning of it, or the literal meaning is that it's, it's a binding and twisting together strands of a rope. That's the imagery that comes with that word. Figuratively, it means to expect, to hope, to wait, to anticipate. So if you put those two meanings together, it has an incredible understanding that comes with it. If it means to expect, to hope, to wait, to anticipate, and it also means to bind together and twist together with, then what does that mean for us practically? What does that mean for me when I need strength? And the Bible says to wait on the Lord. Well, I need to be waiting with anticipation, with expectation, with hope, and with anticipation, right? I need to be waiting with those things inside of me. Like, I'm looking for you, Lord. I'm waiting for you, Lord. I'm anticipating him to show up any minute. I'm anticipating this thing to move any minute. I'm anticipating strength to come over me any minute. Watch this. But as I'm waiting, I'm binding and twisting with the Lord. 
I'm, I'm not just, it's not just me and Jesus. It's me and Jesus and the Holy Spirit. It's me, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and the Father. I get to twist with all three of them. Come on, somebody. I get to twist with them, right? Come on, I get, to, I get to mingle with them. I get to bind together with them. So you don't sit and wait and TikTok your life away. You sit and wait and you bind yourself with the Lord. You ain't got time to be playing. You need to be twisting. You need to be binding together with the Lord. You need to get close to him. You need to dig in. You can't just sit on the sidelines and say, well, I just hope the Lord shows up. You need to get up in it. Grab your Bible. Grab some friends. Pray in the Holy Ghost. Lord, I need you now. It's not just sitting passively twiddling your thumbs. It's a process of binding and twisting and entwining our lives with the Lord, with the, with the, with the Father, with the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Watch this. It means this. I no longer depend on my one strand of strength. If that was enough, you wouldn't need anything else. You'd already be strong. <laughs> it's no longer relying on my own Strength. You can't make it through on your own strength. You can't break through on your own strength. You can't overcome the enemy in your own strength. That single strand is not enough. You need multiple strands. Look at your neighbor and say, you need a few more strands. Yeah. Look back at him and say, yeah, you too. <laughs> We don't want it to be one-sided, right? Now, myself, my life pattern, which is broken now, has been in the past to be strong. My life experiences required me to be strong. I lost my mama at a young age. Lost a lot of family members at a young age. Never had my dad around. I had a lot of reasons to have to be strong. And I always considered myself to be a strong individual, not just physically, but even emotionally. I could handle some stuff. Mentally, I could work through a lot of things. I was a problem solver. I went into business thinking, man, I got this. Lord, you gave me what I need. I'm going to run with it. If I need you, I'll call you. What he showed me over the next several years was that my one little strand pops easy. I was trying to catch a shark on some 12-pound test. That was to the guys. I, I, needed, I needed a stronger cord. My single strand wasn't enough. And now I've come to the place where I go, yeah, I'm not all that in a bag of chips. <laughs> I might just be a bag of chips. Come on, somebody. <laughs> but I'm connected. <laughs> I got some cords around me, broke off the wrong cords, applied the right cords. Come on, somebody. So Jesus gives us strength. Let's talk about three, three ways that Jesus gives us strength. Let me give you some cords here. Remember, 
It's not sitting around twiddling your thumbs. It's to be in an attitude of expectation, of hoping, of waiting and anticipating as you're binding and twisting with the Lord, right? So you're working through it. You're twisting with the Lord. You're seeking him. You're going after him. You're asking him what he thinks. You're telling him. You're being brutally honest with him. Lord, I don't have what it takes right now. Do you know that's perfectly fine? It's perfectly fine. Why do we struggle to say, I I don't have what it takes? If you're struggling to say to the Lord of hosts, I don't have what it takes, then you care too much about what the world says and you've become too worldly. Because when you get desperate enough, you don't care what the world thinks anymore. God's moved the most and the most powerfully in my life when I've sat there with nothing. I just went, Lord, I can't, I can't fix this. Like, I don't have what it takes. Like, I got you, but that's, that's all I got is you. Like, I'm, thank God I have you. Like, but Lord, honestly, in my own strength, I ain't got nothing. I don't, I don't even have the wisdom to fix this. I don't have the, the courage to fix this. I don't even have the energy or the strength to fix this. When you humble yourself like that, with a genuine humility, it comes from you. Listen to me. God doesn't listen to your words as much as he looks at your heart. Because too many of us say too many things for too long and don't mean nothing. He's looking at your heart. I've had addictions, I've had struggles in my life, and I said, Lord, I can't defeat it. I can't defeat it. I'm just in this, I can't defeat it, Lord, I can't. He says, all right, I got you. Now I'm ready to move. Why? Why, is it, why does he set it up like that? Listen to me. God wants us to know that we know that we know that we know that we have assurance that he is my source. He is my only source of life. He doesn't want to share that with anybody else. He is a jealous God. He don't want anybody else getting credit for what he does. All right. Three strengths, three ways that Jesus gives us strength, or three strands if you want to call it that way. I couldn't figure out what to call it. I just called it the strength that Jesus gives us. So here we go. Number one, he gives us the strength of position. The strength of position. I'm telling you right now, this is a big deal for us as a church. This point one is a big deal for every single one of us. So listen to the words carefully. He gives us the strength of position. What is your position? Where do you stand? Not just today, but all the way to next Sunday. Where do you stand? It's easy to stand up in the church. Oh, but when you get on the job site or you get away from the church, right? Romans 8.15, I want to help you understand your position. Verse 15 says, so you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. You might underline fearful slaves or highlight it on your Bible app, however you're going to do that. So you have not, you have not, you have not, you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. God doesn't want you to be a fearful slave in your relationship with him. He doesn't want to relate with a fearful slave. He wants to relate with a son or a daughter. He wants to talk to a son or a daughter, not a fearful slave. 
Instead, instead of being a fearful slave, you've received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba Father. Now watch this. His spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. So you're going to have to get to a place in your life, in your mind, in your emotions, in your soul, that I am a child of God or not. It's either one or the other. I can't, I can't keep bouncing in between. I'm going to have to decide. I'm going to have to make up my mind and settle in my soul and my spirit that I'm a child of God. Because you see, it's difficult to be strong if you still see yourself as a fearful slave. <laughs> so you've not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. So God's not trying to make you a fearful slave. Instead, you receive God's spirit when he adopted you as his children. You've been adopted. Look at your neighbor and say, you've been adopted. So remember how I started this message. When you give your life to Jesus, you go from spiritual death into spiritual life. You go from no family to having family. You go from no spiritual family to spiritual family. You've been adopted into his house. You've been adopted into his family. You belong now. Do you realize you can give up your own natural kids, but you can never give up an adopted kid? Legally, you can't. You've been adopted. That means that God picked you. He chose you. He loves you. You're in his house. You have access. <laughs> you belong there. You ever get invited somewheres, but you really felt like you didn't belong? Come on, it was kind of an awkward, I don't like to go hang out with those people. I don't, I don't feel like I belong, you know. I do that too. Sometimes I, I get around highly educated people. I'm just like, yeah. Anybody raise cows? Anybody got some chickens? Because <laughs> it's just hard to fake it being intelligent. But the Lord will make me intelligent. I'll say something wise every now and then. You don't have to feel that way in God's kingdom. You've been adopted as his own children. And now what you identify him as changes. He's not just God up there. Come on. He's got to go from God up there to Abba Father. It's that the relationship has to change from that big fellow over there to my daddy. Come on. Something's got to transition. Something's got to transform inside of you that says he's not just a big God. He's my big daddy. Come on. When you're speaking to the enemy, if you're telling him, well, well that big God's going to get you, he goes, yeah, you don't really know what you're talking about. But when you tell him my daddy going to get you, he says, uh-oh, you know. <laughs> and I love verse 16. He says, for his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we're his children. So when you're born again, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you. Not only do you receive salvation, you receive help. Come on, somebody. <laughs> you get some help. 
Who's the Holy Spirit? The teacher, the counselor. Come on, somebody. He's your helper. He's the one that's going to walk with you. He's going to lead you and guide you. You got him when you got saved. And he's inside of you affirming, firming up your belief system that I am a child of God. So when you accept your position, your perspective should change. Now, sometimes I can understand your position by listening to your perspective. Because some of you, your perspective is really low. It's really low. If I, walk how you, if I watch how you walk through a storm, I watch how you get through a difficult situation, and I see your perspective, your perspective is telling on your position. Because when your position is good, your perspective changes. You see problems different than you used to. You see trouble different than you used to. You see weakness different than you used to. You have a different perspective now. I used to see it from here looking up, but now I'm up here looking down on my troubles. I used to live under my troubles, now I live above my troubles. If your perspective changes, it's only because your position has changed. Here's the thing. You've been adopted. If you're born again, you've been adopted. The Lord may just be waiting for you to act like a family member now. He may just be waiting for some of you to settle in. He may be waiting for you to rest and relax and trust that he's not going to throw you out like everybody else did. He may be waiting for you to make a home in his family. If I listen to you pray, it's going to tell on your position. Because some of you go to God like a beggar. My kids don't beg me for nothing. Now, they try to manipulate me. <laughs> that youngest one of mine, she goes, Daddy. But I don't have to go as a beggar. If I'm begging, it tells on my position. My daughters have had tire issues the last six or eight months. But we killed that devil in the name of Jesus. And I'm their daddy. So I'm the head tire fixer in my family. There was a couple weeks they would come home. Dad, my tire's low. Dad, my light came on. And it's always when you get comfortable. Get home at the end of the day. Got your fat pants on. Y'all giggling because y'all got some too. Huh? I know. I know. I know. It's okay. I don't wear them in public, though. It is a sin to wear your fat pants to Walmart. I'm just telling you right now. And as your pastor, if I ever see you at Walmart with your fat pants, I'm going to call you out on the microphone. You better go put some clothes on. I don't know how we got there. 
You got a little too comfortable. <laughs> but my girls would call me, and I was like, dear God, ah, oh, these tires. And I'd go out there, get the air compressor, get the gauge, look for the leak, plug a leak, if I plug a hole, whatever I had to do, coordinate something with the tire shop. And it's like, oh, my God. And it's always on the, on the passenger side. So I'm like, y'all need to stay on the road. Because if it's just a passenger side going flat, that means you're running off the road. I was sweeter than that, right? Oh, they left me hanging. Call me again, see what's going to happen to you. I done totally forgot where I was going with this analogy. When they're in a bind, they call me and they don't have to beg. Why? Because their position is secure. They know that I'm daddy and I know that they're daughter. There's no second guessing. When I know who my daddy is and my daddy knows who his son is, there's no second guessing. You don't have to beg the father. You just ask and he gives. You see what I'm saying? That'll change your prayer life. A slave walks around with his head down. A son walks around with his head up. You ever seen those, those funny uh, videos where people are looking at their phone and they're walking and bam, they hit a light post? Or they fall into a trench? That's what slaves do. All they can see is down. You're not a fearful slave anymore. Pick your head up, boy. Look around. See what's going on around you. Sometimes slaves' heads are down so bad, they don't even see when the master comes around. Galatians chapter 3, verse 26, watch this. For you are all children of God through faith in Christ. That's as simply as I can put it. You are all children of God through faith in, Jesus, in Christ Jesus. Number two. So number one, there's strength of position. Number two, there's strength of people. Strength of people. Oh, yeah, you good, but you still need some help. <laughs> Acts chapter 20, we went over this a few weeks ago or months ago. I don't know how long ago it's been. But we, we, when we were in that long journey through Acts, and, and we realized that Paul had a lot of people in his life, but not too many. In Acts chapter 20, verse 4, it lists some of those folks. Several men were traveling with him. Who's traveling with you through life? They were Sopatar, son of Pyrrhus from Berea, Aristarchus, and Secundus. You remember all these goofy names? From Thessalonica, Gaius from Derby, Timothy, and Tychicus, and Trophimus from the province of Asia. I'll just, I'll just recommend this. Get some, get some people in your life with easier names to pronounce. <laughs> just, uh, <laughs> make sure they're spiritual, but make sure their names are easy, like Bob and Jim and Tom, Susie. I'm just joking. Paul had those folks in his life. Go with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11. I want to read this to you from the message translation because Paul tells us how to treat these relationships. says this, so speak encouraging words to one another. Build up hope so you'll all be together in this. No one left out, no one left behind. You know you're already doing this, just keep on doing it. 
Just keep on doing it. Speak encouraging words to one another. Build up hope so you'll all be together in this. No one left out. No one left behind. I know you're already doing this. Keep on doing it. What is Paul saying? The relationships that God places in your life are important and you gotta manage those relationships. You gotta be a good steward of those relationships. When you have the opportunity or you make the opportunity, encourage others. That's like depositing your paycheck in the bank. When you encourage others, you make a deposit that one day when you need to be encouraged, they'll come back around and encourage you. So encourage one another and build each other up. That's a far cry from fighting over stupid stuff. But they said this and they said that and oh, they didn't show up for this. Oh. I'm telling you right, church folk fight over some stupid stuff. I'm going, you all read your Bible? Speak encouraging words to one another. Build up hope. Don't leave anyone out. No one left behind. So let me talk to you real quick about disconnected and connected. There's a difference between being disconnected and being connected. When you're disconnected, it means you don't have any, any good people in your life. These are people that are born again, Spirit-filled believers, when you're disconnected, you're in trouble. Because when you're disconnected, you're easily discouraged. <laughs> that simply means you don't have much courage. When you're disconnected, you're left to your own thoughts. I refuse to be left to my own thoughts. And the older I get, the more I tell people what I'm thinking. You know why? Because my thoughts have hijacked my life too many times. They've hijacked my opinion too many times. They've hijacked my feelings and emotions too many times. I tell Cheryl all the time what I'm thinking. She asked me the other day, she said, do y'all really think like that? I said, do you really want to know? She goes, uh-uh. Uh-uh. I was like, I can tell you. You're left to your own thoughts. You get in trouble when you're left to your own thoughts. It's just you and your thoughts and the devil. When you're disconnected, you have limited vision. You can only see what you can see. You need others sometimes to see what you can't see. Go eat a salad and see if you ain't got something in your teeth. And be disconnected. You walk around smiling at people with a bush hanging out your mouth. Everybody be like, hey, how you been? Why? Because you can't see. I'm just trying to say it where you remember it. That's all. You're easily dis discouraged. You're left with, to your own thoughts. You have limited vision. And watch this. You're more likely to quit. You're more likely to quit when you're disconnected. So what happens when you're connected? What happens when you allow the people that God wants to place in your life to get in your life? 
Well, you're easily encouraged. <laughs> it's not rocket science. <laughs> Your thoughts get checked by others. Sometimes the kindest thing said to me is, that was stupid. <laughs> like, what you said? <laughs> Your thoughts get checked by others. When you're connected, your blind spots are covered by others. They tell you when there's something hanging out your mouth. They tell you when something's sneaking up behind you. Come on. Your blind spots are covered by others. You're less likely to quit when you're connected. And then you're sharpened. When you have others in your life, you become sharp. You don't have to live dull. You can be sharp. Proverbs 27, 17 says, as iron sharpens iron, one man or woman sharpens another man or woman. Come on, if you don't have other people in your life, you're becoming dull. And you all know you do more damage with a dull knife than you do a sharp knife. So everyone needs three types of relationships in their life. Let me give you this. This is just my personal opinion. This is not scripture. This is just my personal opinion and my observation over the years. I believe this to be true for myself and my wife. We all need three types of relationships in our life. We need mother-father type relationships. And I want to explain that a little bit because sometimes that can get a little dysfunctional. We need mother-father relationships in our life. We need someone who is down the road a little further than we are. Someone who can tell us not to go left and to go right. It's like when you're driving from here to Iota and you got a buddy in the, or, or somebody, then they're, they're going before you and they say, hey, bro, when you get to this turn, there's a cop hanging out in the woods. <laughs> There's a deer dead in the road. Will you pick it up for me? No. <laughs> you need someone who's been down the road a little bit further. Not someone to control you. Not someone to lord over you. Not someone to manipulate you. Not someone to, that makes you become their servant. Because we serve Jesus. Right? But he gives us mother-father type relationships. They're, they're not my source anymore because I left my mom and my daddy and my new daddy's God and he's big and he and I have a relationship. So I don't need you to be God to me. I just need you to be a mother or father to me. Like I just need you because you've been down a road a little bit longer than I have. I just need some wisdom from you. I need some courage from you. I need some advice from you. Come on, somebody. Some of you don't have that relationship, so you're trying to get advice and wisdom from your brothers and your sisters, and they're on the same track you on. That's like two alcoholics trying to help each other get sober. You're going to end up at the bar, bro. So you need that father-mother type relationship. Nobody ever takes the place of Jesus in your life. Nobody, not even me, takes the place of Jesus in your life. The second type of relationship you need is a brother-sister relationship. You need some people who are on the road with you. You need some people you can do life with. 
You need some people when your kids are hearing stuff at school, you can call them up and say, hey, your kid's struggling with this? Oh, yeah, girl, my kids are struggling with that too. Well, let's get together and kick the devil's tail. Right? Or let's march down to the school and straighten some stuff up. It's your kids. Brother-sister relationships, people you get to do life with. Then you need some sons and daughters type relationships. And let me explain this one for a minute because some of you are like, Pastor, I got kids. <laughs> I'm just saying right now, I ain't adopting and I ain't trying to get no spiritual kids. <laughs> I hear you. You do your best growing when you got sons and daughters. You learn your own lessons to completion when you got spiritual sons and daughters. And for some of you in this place, your next growth step is to finally have the courage to step out and get you some sons and daughters in the Lord. Some folks that you're a little further down the road then that you can be there for, that you can lead, that you can, that you can let loose of some of this wisdom you got all these years. Some of you have bought into the lie that you ain't good enough for that. You bought into the lie that you don't qualify for that. Some of you are waiting for a certificate or a permission slip. You've been already given that. You already got the permission slip. Go be a father and a mother to somebody. And when you do, you go grow like you never grew before. Because until you release some of that wisdom and some of those scars and some of those dumb decisions and some of the, the miracles of God that he's done in your life, until you release that, you don't make room for more. Pastor Bubba would call that spiritually constipated. That's what he said, not me. You get it? It's better to be connected than disconnected. I'm just telling you right now. And if you're disconnected, listen to me, no condemnation on you. No condemnation. I'm glad you're at church today. Because you're one simple prayer away from getting connected. You're one decision away from getting connected. Lord, I need some folks in my life. Would you send them? Yes, I'll send them. I'll tell you right now, I prayed for my daddy one time years ago. He was going through a divorce, and he was, he was distraught. I'm going to try to make this quick. He was distraught. He couldn't sleep. He'd be up at 4 o'clock in the morning walking on the high school track because he just couldn't sleep. And he's all the way up around uh, west of Shreveport into Texas. He's about three or four hours away from me. He's calling me. He's like, man, I'm just not doing good, son. You know, this has just been really, really hard. I get up every morning, I go walk on the track, and, you know, I just, oh, just trying to get my, I can't get my mind to stop. And, I, and my heart was broken for him. Empathy's not always a big thing in me, but it, it, I had some. And, 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 and I said, I started to pray for my dad. And watch this. I said, Lord, I said, you got a man around my daddy. You got a man. I said, Lord, send a man. Send a man to reach my daddy. I can't get to him. You send a man to reach my daddy. The next morning, at 4 o'clock in the morning, this dude shows up on the walking track to walk. He's a spirit-filled, born-again man of God. And he's walking on the track. He just him and my daddy. Nobody else walks at 4 in the morning on the high school track. And he's walking on that. They had to talk. 
How you doing? Good. How you doing? Not so good. Going through a divorce. Oh, really? Tell me about it. That was like a Monday. By Wednesday, my daddy was in church with him. My daddy walks into the church on Wednesday night, and the lights are down low, and the music starts playing, and he just loses it. He just loses it. All the pain, all the anguish, all the junk just comes out of him. He calls me. He says, son, you ain't going to believe what happened to me. I said, test me. <laughs> just test me. He said, there was a guy just showed up on the track, and we started talking, and, and he invited me to church, and I went to church, and I'm sitting there on the phone like, Get you some of that devil. Yes, sir. And what happened next? I ended up in this church service and the lights were down low. That's why we turned the lights low. And, and I got all emotional. I just lost it emotionally. All I did was say, Lord, send a man. And the Lord sent a man. But if I don't ask him to send a man, what am I saying? If you're disconnected, just ask God to get connected. It's no more complicated than that. And he will, he will supernaturally put people in your life. And you won't have to work for it. You won't have to strive for it. Is this helping? So we got the strength of your position, the strength of people, and the strength of his promises. Second Corinthians chapter 12. I'm getting ready to show you something about your weaknesses that's going to change your mind. Paul's in a, in a peculiar position. He's in a town where they're expecting to see glamour and, and fluent speech and miracles and education and just to see all these incredible things. And Paul comes in in a different position. He comes in at a different level this time. He comes in low. You know, sometimes situations call for you to come in high. Sometimes they call for you to come in low. Sometimes they call for you to come in strong. Sometimes they call for you to come in a little bit weak. You need to read, you need to read the situation. So Paul's coming in, and he's beginning to talk about his weaknesses. And he brings up this topic that he has a thorn in his flesh. He says, I've got a thorn in my flesh. <laughs> in verse 8, he says, three times I begged the Lord to take it away. Each time the Lord said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in your weakness. So now, listen to Paul, so now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and the insults and the hardships and the persecutions and the troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Paul had a revelation. Paul said, you know what? There's something that happens when I get weak. When I get weak and I can't go no more and I don't have what it takes anymore, there's something supernatural that happens. So when I'm weak, God steps in supernaturally and he uses me and he shows his power through me. Man, I ain't got nothing to do with it. You'll walk through some stuff and enjoy the ride. You'll be like, God, this is cool as all get out. Listen to what he says. 
I boast about my weaknesses. That is so countercultural. That is so counter to our society, right? That's so counter social media. That means you don't use filters. <laughs> I boast about my weaknesses for this purpose that the power of Christ can work through me. I take pleasure in my weaknesses and the insults and hardships and persecutions and troubles. How do you take pleasure in that? That's strange to us, isn't it? Isn't that like foreign doctrine? I don't think any of us were raised this way, right? Like, baby, you need to learn how to take pleasure in your insults. Instead of, you need to insult them back. Right? Paul understood something that I pray to God we understand today. He had a thorn in his flesh and the Lord wouldn't remove it. And the Lord's response to him was, is my grace is all that you need. <sighs> Let me just tell you something. That thing you've been praying about for 20 years now, you might need to come to the fact his grace is all that you need. His grace is all that you need right now. And if he should deliver that or he should break that or he should show up in that way, then praise God. But right now you got his grace. So stop complaining because you didn't get what you prayed for and start enjoying the grace that he gives you. You got grace for this. And the Lord said, my power works best in your weakness. So Paul's sharing a lesson with us today. You know what this means? That the power of Jesus is best seen and demonstrated when you are weak. When you're weak. It's really bad with dudes. Like you know brother's struggling with something. Say, hey, man, how you doing, bro? You've been on my heart. I'm good. I'm good. And you go, oh, here we go. Let me grab my crowbar. Let me pry you open. Like, you sure you're good? Oh, yeah, 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 I'm good, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. Okay, all right. A little bit more small talk. So you good, bro? Yeah, man, I'm good. Okay, all right, a little more small talk. Just trying to pry, just, just pry you open. So how's your marriage? Oh, well. <laughs> Paul bragged about his. <sighs> your daddy lied when he told you you needed to suck it up. I lied when I told my kids it'd go away by the time they got married. Because there's some scars that don't. Some scars go with you in the marriage. You don't have to be that strong. You don't have to be that tough. In fact, if you want others to see the power of Jesus, it's displayed and demonstrated the most when you're the weakest. 
I want to clear something up real quick, though, because sometimes your weakness and your troubles and your insults and your hardships and your persecutions don't come because you're suffering for Christ. They came because you made a bad decision. So Paul's not saying that you get to (laughs) take pleasure in those. Listen to what he says. He says, I take, that's why I take pleasure in my weakness and in the insults, hardships, persecutions, and troubles that I suffer for Christ. Not for my own stupidity. Not for my own selfishness. Ah, the ones I suffer for Christ. I can take pleasure in those. Why? Because Christ is up in that. Right? He's not up into your sin, but he's up into suffering for him. <clears throat> All right. So Paul realized he's the strongest when he's the weakest. And there's something amazing about the Lord's strength that I pray we begin to understand. You remember how he showed up for Hezekiah, even though Hezekiah was a jacked up dude? Hezekiah cried out to the Lord. The Lord went that night and killed 185,000 of his enemies. That's the strength we get to enjoy in this good life. That strength showing itself in my weakness. Because if we're being honest, Hezekiah was scared to death and the nation was scared to death. This strength of the Lord that he promises to us must be so good that it changed the way Paul felt about it. So let me ask you a question today that I want you to answer for yourself. What if your weaknesses were just opportunities for the strength of Jesus to be seen more clearly in you? What if your weaknesses were just opportunities for the strength of Jesus to be seen more clearly in you? Hmm. You see, Jesus always keeps his promises. He promised the Holy Spirit, didn't he? Go wait in Jerusalem, wait for the promise. And they did, and they received the promise. He promises his presence. He said, lo, I'll be with you to the end of the age. And he's with us still today. Jesus keeps his promises. Now, Isaiah 41.10, this is one of my life verses. I'll never forget where I was at when I when I started hanging on to this verse and really started praying this verse, I was going through some hard times in my life. I went through a season where everything was dying. My career was dying. The job, the company I worked for was dying. The economy was dying and my mama died and everything around me was dying. And I, I, I came across this verse in Isaiah 41.10 and it's become my life verse and I want you to hear it. It's the Lord speaking through Isaiah to the nation. He says, fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And I saw, when I understood that verse, I saw, come see Tim. I saw the hand of God, turn this way. And his, well, you're on the wrong side. Okay. His right hand, not his left. Got to be specific. I saw the Lord holding me with his righteous right hand. And when I was down and out and I was crying and I was hurt, I saw him take that hand and hold me with his righteous right hand. 
and I felt his embrace and I felt his, his closeness. That word became alive to me because it talks about God's hand. I will help you. I will strengthen you. I will hold you with my righteous right hand. When your knees are buckling and you're about to fall flat on your face, I'm going to hold you. Come on, somebody. That's a word. I'm going to hold you. So give me a keyboard player. There we go. The end's always better with a little background music, right? Is that, is that prayer on there, Justin? Okay, I want you to put that up. So what I did is I flipped the verse so that we could pray this verse today over ourselves. So we're going to read it from the screen. Turn the keys down just a little bit. All right. Let's pray this together. I will not fear, for you are with me. I will not be dismayed, for you are my God. You will strengthen me. Yes, you will help me. You will uphold me with your righteous right hand. Let's do that again. I will not fear, for you are with me. I will not be dismayed, for you are my God. You will strengthen me. Yes, you will help me. You will uphold me with your righteous right hand. Father, we pray right now. Lord, I pray over this church that we're a people in this region that know how to live the good life in the strength that you've given us. Help us to understand our position. Help us to have others, other people in our life. And help us, God, to stand on your promises. If you said it, I believe it, and that's it. That's it, Lord. If you said you're going to hold me up with your righteous right hand, when my knees get weak, I'm expecting your hand. If you said not to be dismayed, that you're going to strengthen me, when that comes at me, Lord, I'm looking for your strength. I'm expecting your strength. I'm anticipating your strength. Lord, show us how this works. Teach us how it works, Holy Spirit. We're your children. We're not beggars. We're not fearful slaves. We're sons and daughters. We belong in the family. We've been adopted. You signed papers for us. You gave your son for us. You shed blood for us. God, help us to understand our position. Help us to find some people and help us to stand on your promises. I can't do this without you. I can't live this life that you've given me without you. You are my righteous right hand. When 
I need to be held up, you hold me up. When I need to be held, you hold me. When I need to be picked up, you pick me up. You also take that hand and you pat me on the back. You tell me how proud you are. You remind me of how much you love me and care about me. And I pray that over us today. Move in us, Lord. No one looking around this morning. Eyes closed, head bowed. I want to just give you a private moment to, to meet Jesus today. If you came to church and you really don't know what will happen to you after you die, you don't know what eternity is going to look like for you. You don't know if it's going to be heaven or hell. You're not really sure. We can take care of that today. Bible says that today is the day of salvation. Today is the day that you can be born again. Today you can change your position. Today you can be adopted into God's family. So with no one looking around, if that's you, you want to give your life to Jesus today, just raise your hand real quick. I see you. Anybody else? I see you. I want to be adopted, Pastor. I want to be adopted. I see you. I want to be adopted. It's good you can put them down. Let's all pray this together. As three people have responded this morning. Lord Jesus, I come to you today broken, weak, lacking strength and courage. I realize today that my position is not sure. So Jesus, I accept what you did on the cross for me by dying on the cross, by shedding your blood on the cross. My sins can be washed away and I can be in right standing with God. Today, I accept that. I believe in my heart that you didn't stay in the grave but God raised you up. And now you're sitting at his right hand. I believe that in my heart. And I want to make a confession now. Jesus, you are my Lord. You are my Savior. I give you my life. It's yours. Do with it what you want. Lead me. I trust you. In Jesus' name, amen.